It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm Austin Peterson, your host here as always in studio in Tempe, Arizona. Unfortunately, the best co-host in the uh, in the business is not with us today for personal reasons. Uh, and I'll just say this, you know, this is a tough time uh, in the world. I think that we are not meant to be separated from one another. And so the, the byproduct of, the, of this pandemic is that people are are really struggling mentally. And so let this be an opportunity for you to reach out to a neighbor, to a friend that you haven't spoken with in a while and just check in with them and see how they're doing. So unfortunately, Landon's not with us today, but we are excited to have a, a tycoon uh, of small biz with us today, Dylan Bisha. Uh, Dylan's the CEO of Wyndham Security here in Arizona. Wyndham Security is uh, Arizona's first farm system for law enforcement, and they provide trustworthy and effective private security to local communities, municipalities, and police departments. So, Dylan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, we're excited to to have this conversation. So before we jump into things, if if you're listening to this show for the first time today and you haven't heard our show before, just know that Tycoons of Small Biz is a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. The intent of this podcast is to give small business owners here in our local community and nationwide an opportunity to share their story. The small business owner community in our country is truly the backbone of our economy. And Landon and I are big believers in that. We're multi-generational entrepreneurs and, and we want to, you know, we put this podcast on so that we have an opportunity or give an opportunity to small businesses to share their their story. And certainly Dylan's got a great story. So Dylan, before we jump into the business side of things, we typically have our, our guests a little bit about themselves personally. So tell us where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about your family life growing up or, or now, you know, what uh, what else, you know, kind of led you to where you are today? Uh, sure. So I grew up in uh, Northern California, uh, up in the mountains of uh, Santa Cruz Mountains. It's in between um, San Jose and the beach, basically. Town's called Los Gatos. My uh, my family's from North Dakota. Uh, moved out when I was younger. Um, most of them stayed out there. Uh, most of them were farmers. Um, and uh, I grew up, you know, racing motorcycles and hanging out in the mountains. I mean, that was my that was my thing. Um, I turned pro when I was eighteen, out of high school, and moved to uh, Southern California to go give it a shot. It's kind of a place where you got to be. The Los Angeles area is 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 where you go to to see if that's really gonna work out for you. Unfortunately, I got hurt, and um, I uh, had to try and figure out other, something else to do. Um, a friend of mine was uh, checking out uh, ASU, which I'd never heard of. I never looked at at colleges or anything, so I I agreed to come out from um, Los Angeles and and get a tour. And I just kind of fell in love with Tempe and downtown and misters palm trees i was wearing no t-shirt and board shorts at midnight and and i was like this this is much better than than chino where i was at in southern california so came out and um decided to go to school obviously um the only thing i thought that would have been for me was um i had four 
four of my uh, friends growing up racing got paralyzed from racing. And so I thought maybe that's something I want to get into. Um, so I was going down the, I did uh, uh, the spinal cord um, was the path. I was going to go after research for that or treatment. And I, I went into the pre-med program at ASU, um, ended up graduating with a pre-med degree in uh, biology. I got a minor in chemistry and a minor in exercise and wellness. And then right when I was doing my volunteering at hospitals before you um, take the MCATs, I decided that it really wasn't for me and started to thought, you know what? I think I just like the challenge of it. That was it. Um, it was really hard. Uh, I had to, uh, especially the um, pre-med programs for sure, organic chemistry, so it gives me nightmares. Um, but uh, I had to look for something new and and um, I had got a, uh, I got a job offer at a kind of a startup bank here and never, nothing about finance, but um, the people in it, the founders of the bank were ex-athletes, a lot of them. Um, and uh, they, they figured it'd be a good spot for me. And, and I, I basically, to me, it was a, a, I was there for four years, went from uh, startup to sold to uh, went public. And then we were a public traded bank. And then we got taken over by the FDIC in receivership to nothing. So from, from all the way from the bottom to the top to the bottom again, I got to see how the uh, the banking world and system worked, which I thought was like, a, it was basically getting an um, MBA in finance for me. I think I learned a lot about um, business in general, um, how to finance it, how to, uh, how it can work and not work, how to um, just, just, it was, to, it was, I enjoyed the loan committee meetings and um, being around some of the people that have been doing this for a long time and just the mentors I got out of it was so valuable. And while the bank was going, uh, going down, um, we, I was looking for something else to do and decided to, uh, start up a, uh, mountain hunting ski lodge in the middle of Scottsdale. It was called the lodge. That was back in 2007. And so that was my first, uh, first real business venture. Um, and, uh, did really well. That 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 actually opened up the doors for me to start to do the things I really wanted to do, um, which was uh, um, help veterans and first responders. Uh, so uh, my best friend growing up is Jared Allen, who played in the NFL, and um, him and I came together and started Homes for Wounded Warriors back in 2008. After Jared went on a USO tour uh, in the Middle East to bases, he came back and said he wanted to do something. Um, I was kind of blown off the conversation because I remember it very well. And I was like, yeah, it's, that, that'd be great. I support the troops. And then Jared, I remember he looked at me and he said, well, what do you do? And I, and I had nothing. It was like a, I, I regurgitated a bumper sticker and I went home and spent my time on YouTube looking at stories of disabled veterans, it's got combat injured veterans, what their problems were, housing issues, financially, all of these things. And then I, I, before I went to sleep, I Googled how to start a 501c3 and printed out the application on the IRS website. And that was the very, that was the start of, um, of Homes for Wounded Warriors. Uh, it's called, the full name is Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors. So, so because of the success of the, um, the first um, you know, sports bar, I was able to focus all my time on this nonprofit. And, it, I, and I loved it. it. It changed, it opened my eyes up to what uh, the men and women in uniform do for us um, not just uh, overseas, but also here locally on, on the on the first responder side too. So that's all I did. We and, and so really proud of that charity. It's it's built uh, 21 homes across the country now, all mortgage free, all custom, um, and it's continuing to do that. And and it'll be 
hopefully doing that forever. It's based out of the air park in, in North Scottsdale area, not uh, up in that area now. Um, and, but that's literally where I started to kind of look around and pay attention. I never served my community before. I never obviously served my country. Um, but to me, that was, that was my way. That was my way of finding, finding a way to, to give back. And then I'm branching off from that. Um, you know, wrote that, wrote the bylaws for that charity based off of, uh, the bylaws I got from the, the Tillman family. I grew up with the Tillmans back home in the Bay area. So, um, the Tillman foundation, I took bits and pieces of it and kind of piece it together for, for how, uh, cause I didn't have, we had, I had no idea what I was doing, um, back then since I wrote the bylaws, you know, very, very, uh, black and white, it was nothing more we could, nothing more we can do for people besides give them a home, which was fine. I uh, wrote it, I wrote it to be very specific. So people that donated money knew exactly what it was going to do. Um, so then I wanted to do other things. So we started other nonprofits up with some other friends and, and, and now I'm a part of, um, the, Marine Raider Foundation, uh, Mission to Alpha, which is a, a passive nonprofit that can help first responders and uh, and military, um, as well as PTSD Foundation of America, which is, is Camp Hope in Houston. Um, so through these all this nonprofit work, I uh, and it's just being in that world in that industry, I wanted to start up a company that hired veterans, but also one that um, not only hired veterans but did something for the community for first responders. I, I wanted to find a way to to put all these, these pieces together so I could, you know, uh, and, and change something. I really wanted it to be something that really made a difference. Um, so took a look at the policing industry, let's say, and then a uh, security industry and had an idea for how the major league baseball has a minor league system. I thought that, uh, local policing should have one as well. There's already an industry there of, of private security that you could use that to get experience for future police officers. Um, so it could, it, it's a way of, it's a stepping stone for future police officers, but it's already out there and it frees up police officers from doing the work that the community doesn't want them to do anyways, uh, which, and, which they don't want to do for the most part. Um, so it already was there. So um, I wanted to find a way to I had to first connect, start a business in private security, connect it to law enforcement, and then and put all these pieces together so it would work, and then I can get a pilot program launched. I pitched the idea to, to Governor Ducey back in 2018 and um, said, this is what I want to do. I, I, I'm not going to try it if, if you're not interested in this, in this idea, but if you are, I'm all in. And um, he said yes. He made some introductions in, uh, to, for me, and I spent basically eight months going to meetings with police chiefs, um, commanders, city council members, mayors, DEA, FBI, DPS, the um, Sheriff Penzone. I, I went to the housing departments in the cities and state, and I went around and and uh, AZ Post, which um, regulates law enforcement here. And I went around and just and police unions. And I went around and I said, well, "How would you do it? What would you change? Which what should I do?" And basically, spent 2018 figuring out how to to put all this together and launched Wyndham Security in in 2019. And so now this has been this is a passion project of mine. Um, hiring veterans transitioning is a big one too. Uh, I've got a lot of experience with that. I found a lot of veterans that were not sure where they wanted to go, kind of blowing GI bills on wasteless, you know, wasted time degrees just to get stipend checks. I was like finding veterans that wanted to get into public safety as a career and this and, and create a company that could be a, a landing pad for them, a place where they could make a, you know, get paid well, learn some things, get some mentoring, open up their eyes, take a look around and make a decision, but you know, by freeing up some time to, to, to make the right decision. 
Um, took some of the ideas from the military, a delayed entry program or delayed enlistment program where it's a 12-month program prior to boot camp. Um, and I said, I want it's probably the same thing for, let's do the same thing for policing. And that's what Wyndham was. We, we tested out some, uh, some, some of the, we formed some relationships in the beginning with Phoenix PD and then tried out the, uh, the product here, the, the way we're going to do it in some of the um, lower income communities. And I wanted to see if we could do not play cop, not nothing like that, just, just a better quality connected to local PD product. And then with people that are on their way into uh, a career and, um, and, and public safety. So not like just people that are picking up part-time jobs or just retirees. This was like, let's find people on their way that are concerned and a sponge learning, uh, want to do a good job, want to hustle. And, uh, we did a 90 day, 90 day, uh, trial in, um, in some communities. And after 90 days, we, uh, ran the data and calls for service dropped in half. So right away we were like, well, we got something here. This is freeing up local PD. This is, uh, helping the community out. Let's take this model and, and start to, um, uh, plop it all over the valley, and then so now we're we're in 130 communities now in, in Maricopa County, and we we take over a thousand calls every month, which would normally be you know potentially a 911. So we don't take 911s and go try and do it ourselves and play cowboy. We we know when to redirect, but we free up local PD, which we thought that's going to help us with some with solid relationships. And then eventually the city started to pick it up, and then they'd see, and they'd uh, and then eventually uh, uh, the uh, police department hired us. So now we work directly for local police. So I call my pre-cops. They're out there working with local police and they're learning. And eventually um, they'll, once they probably a few more months with me, they'll, they'll, they'll apply to whichever police department um, works for them. So yeah, that was a long, that was a long kind of discussion to it. But lastly, I, an apprenticeship program, which is a pre-cop model. It's a, a pathway to law enforcement is my program. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's basically prerequisites to the police academy, but it teaches you a lot of things besides just the tactics of it. It's about um, learning how to solve problems in the community. Uh, and while working for me, since we're in low-income, mid-high uh, student housing, public properties, downtown, you're going to get a very well-rounded experience solving problems in every demographic that Maricopa County has to offer. So if you work for me for six months, we're going to find out if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you really should get into a police academy, if you really should. Um, that's that filter system I was talking about. If you can make it to the majors, if you're the right person for the majors. Um, so now that now that that's all kind of moving forward and, and we got some things going, the next the next big thing popping up is Scottsdale Community College is going to, is, has a, a spring 22. We have our first veteran pathway to law enforcement work and learn program. It's a nine-month certificate program where you get taught by former uh, local police as well as uh, current police and you get you learn you get a certificate in law enforcement while getting introduced to different police departments and working for Wyndham, so you can apply what you're learning. And the sponsoring uh, uh, police departments agencies is uh, MCSO, Scottsdale, Tempe, and Phoenix Police Departments. So um, really cool opportunity if people are interested in that. So this to me is a I'm it's a passion. I'm I'm trying to find a way to um, to to free up police, to, to provide um, work for veterans, to um, address some of the issues of, of police reform and the defund, defund the police that we hear a lot about, which I believe this is a really good solution for, um, and create a bit, and, and also obviously create a, a, a successful business. So, um, and we're doing really well, growing really, uh, really fast. We got a new building in Phoenix now that we have our, more room for classrooms and our hand-to-hand uh, training rooms. Um, so, 
growing and growing and growing. And man, we're just at about the 100 employee mark. Really excited about it. A lot of people are, uh, it's really fun to to see people come come into Wyndham and then um, use that as a step to wherever they want to go and end up somewhere. So working on improving things, adding things that we can do, as well as signing up new uh, new customers, clients, municipalities, private, mostly real estate companies. So uh, yeah, really having fun, really having fun with this one. So I think it's an, an interesting take on things, right? I mean, the why for you, I think you've kind of already already hit it, right? I mean, you you grew this passion for the veteran community and working with Jared and getting this start. And, you know, you talked about how you started the nonprofit and now you're kind of turning it into this business where you give that stepping stone from veterans, you know, coming out of active military to doing something else, right? Staying in public mm-hmm. service. A lot of them are very you know, passionate about that, but they're not sure how to do it, which I think is obviously one part of that. The other part that we kind of have to unpack here is you mentioned right at the very end, there's kind of, well, not kind of, there's a problem with policing in our country today. And we've got, you know, a country that's really kind of fractured on this defund the police movement and things that are going on inside of the, you know, the police system countrywide, racially motivated and otherwise that, you know, kind of needs to be fixed. And then the last part, or, you know, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning is this kind of farm system, because the reality is security for the most part, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on the statistics and it's just something I saw on TV or movies or whatever, but a lot of times security guards or people who didn't quite make it into the police academy or failed out in the police academy, retired people, those sorts of things. And, and now all of a sudden you've taken an opportunity to say, these are the people who aren't quite ready for the big leagues, like you said, and it gets them that training to then, one, decide, is this what I want to do? And two, to get them some training and exposure to what it what it really looks like so that they're even more prepared as they enter the police academy. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know, private security, security guards, uh, bad reputation, really. You know, everyone thinks of Paul Blart and mall cop and unreliable <laughs> and sleepy guards and, um so that was one of the things I, I spoke to the governor about was I said, I, I can't I can't do anything unless I can get local law enforcement to trust it. And they're never going to trust it unless they know what, unless there's, you know, the, the training comes from them, which is why I went to AZ Post in the beginning, which is where all the training comes for the for the police. And I was like, and, and the other thing is um, most, most of the uh, private security companies are more staffing agencies. It's a minimum wage. They're just putting bodies out there. So it was never going to go that route. Um, we had to, you know, we be- believe that these are these are not these are some people that might need a little extra help before they can get into policing. But really, it's about that. Most of the people we hire, are, they could go right now to policing. They're just not, they're not or to law enforcement. They're just not sure exactly where they want to go yet. So you got to motivate them to to come into Wyndham. So re- recruiting people into Wyndham was like, OK, well, private security, low pay. So let's look at where, where they put the, the the pay ranges, right? I think in the Valley right now for a seasoned security guard, you're going to be in the 14, 13 to $15 an hour range, right? Um, so we're a starting guard rookie at Wyndham makes 19. So you start at 19. So we put the pay right in between what the private security industry is paying here and what law enforcement pl- pays to start. So we want it to be like a financial incentive too. Like this isn't minimum wage. You're going to you, know, you start out as a full-time guard, you're going to start out at 40000 a year. So it's not spectacular, right, when you first start, but it's not too bad either. So it was like, how do we attract people? Well, what, well, we the 
through the veteran networks. Now, if it's a veteran, and we don't only just hire veterans, we have a mostly over 80% of Wyndham is veterans. Um, my nickname is Civvy. I get made fun of a lot. Um, I love working around veterans, so I have no problem at all. Um, but it's it's finding, why would you come here? Well, you get to gain experience. You get a lot of introductions to maybe uh, people that you wouldn't have been able to meet, work in interesting places, uh, give back to the community, work for, you had a, and, and the culture at Wyndham, that was a big, it has to be, the camaraderie has to be there. It's got to be like, help out, you know, coming out of the, a unit in the military. It's got to feel safe. It's got to feel like, Everyone's working together. It's also got to be high energy. It can't be this slow, sleepy place. So Wyndham's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun there um, to see the team together and because we're a 24-7 operation all over the Valley. People love working there. They love working, you know, working with each, you know, the other, um, whether it's a veteran or not, they get that feel again that uh, it's competitive. It's a hustle. Um, so we had to create that. It was starting from scratch. It's like, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you do that? You know, what, what do we do? especially with sometime in the very beginning, some of the work was pretty slow and not very exciting. Well, we just kind of, we kind of kept preaching it and believing it and hiring the right team too. I mean, the, the infrastructure there was, you know, we got about 15 people that work in the, you know, work the nine to five and they're, they got, they're all very, very talented, um, interesting, very, really cool stories about what they did. A lot of, most of them uh, served in the military and they went and contracted. They went and contracted back in the Middle East, bounced around. So we got people that have, have a, a lot, a lot of the people they recruited from that, from some of the private contracting companies that were, uh, that went away or the ones that they just knew some good people that wanted to keep them here. So really the talented leaders that people want to work for and inspire. That's what really, what was another big one, another big piece of this too, was getting them to come in. We're not, turning away people that go, we wouldn't turn away someone that was former law enforcement. But we, what we found is, you know, the people that, um, it's just not like a, a good retirement job. Like it's a hustle we, we expect, we have a product that we sell to our customers, private, uh, companies and municipalities that, that we uh, pride ourselves on. And we, and we're a very, uh, we, 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 we like to think that we're just night and day different than the other companies. So we expect a lot out of our employees and we, and that's why we compensate them um, so well. So that was tough. I always joke and say it's a psychological reconstruction of the security guard. I mean, that's really what, what it is. We, we're up against the, the, a lot of times that is the reputation. They, people look at it and they just go, they already, cause they think they already know who we are, but it's so fun to see the the positive results that come out of it. It's so fun to see the happy, whether it's property managers or, um, city managers or even police officers that at first were just like, you know, skeptical about it, um, what we're really trying to do. But um, we have, we have a lot of wins and uh, everyone gets to share it at the company. So it's, it's a big family. It's a, it's a, it's a fun place to be. I I absolutely enjoy it, especially for a civvy like me. Yeah. So you may not even realize it, but you've kind of got Somebody here in studio, our producer, Daryl, we've had a conversation about this and he's got friends that have been police officers. He wanted to be a police officer. And he, so he's got these friends that are kind of disenfranchised now with the policing system and, you know, what's going on in our country and this, this fracture, you know, and so, you know, not to, not to steal from the studio owner, Karen, who would love Daryl to be here for the rest of his life, but if he's considering still law enforcement or what do you say to somebody like him or his friends who are disenfranchised about what Wyndham security is potentially doing to kind of help, you know, this defund the police movement and, and what the police looks like in the future. Yeah. 
Well, so a big a big piece of um, uh, now I recognized early on that uh, you know the the training for the farm the farm system the prerequisite training programs and everything it can't just be it can't just come from law enforcement it can't just come from it has to come from the community too it's a big piece of it I just came from a a, a meeting straight from a meeting with uh, A P Powell which, with Arizona and he puts together a lot of amazing uh, bridge forums. Um, that brings in uh, people from the community as well as law enforcement together to have these conversations and talk about these things. So I, I truly believe that you know what, it's not it's not one side or the other who who gets to select it. It's more of you got it's a, you got to work together and put, and and I believe that the community has to have a big stake in uh, how they're policed. And so they they need to. That's why I came from that meeting was to find out what am I missing here. What are some things that. I need to look for and if I'm going to produce future police officers, what are some things that I can train on? What are some things that I cannot? This is a, you know, it's, it's, I don't think anyone, no one's ever done something like this before is kind of what I've been told. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm going down the right path. I'm not trying to go, go only on one side of this and then try and convince the other. I'm trying to go to both and have them both be a part and be stakeholders in creating it. Um, So, you know, unfortunately I was, you know, I was, Kind of, I'm paying attention too to, especially the the numbers of um, you know African American police officers going down and down and down, and it's not surprising um, if if your immediate uh, community family, if your world is uh, has a you know maybe a negative or a, a going downward or a dwindling <laughs> uh, with uh, support for for police, it's going to be really hard to become a police officer because you're you know you might want to feel like you're going against your family or going against your your world, so. It's unfortunate because I think there's a lot of value in having a diverse police department, especially when the city is diverse too, as well. So, in any of these changes that uh, in, in police reform, and it's not like it's not us versus them, because you know, a lot of police officers can recognize that it needs to be changed as well. It's got to be you're changing with the times, you're changing with uh, the community, and everyone's got to be on board. It's got it's got to be a it's, it can't be the us versus them mentality, you know, and I. You know, I always joke, I always say that, you know, I don't, I don't call myself or Wyndham a pro-police or an anti-police. I've always said we're with police up, down, better for worse. Like we're, we got to, the, the police officers and men and women that wear the uniform, they live here too, right? They're, they, it's not like they're, everyone's ecstatic about what's going on today. I mean, it's not like you can't, deny um who's responsible and who's not you can't deny there's mistakes you can't deny there's the people that shouldn't belong there which is a big piece of the filter system like i talked about like you to me it's a you if you think of major league baseball and you bring somebody straight straight from high school into the majors then and sometimes you find out that they're not a good fit right well what happens you know you lose some money or something. Well, what happens in in uh, public safety? You find you find out somebody isn't a good fit. There, you know, bad things happen, and that is what I'm t- I'm talking about. Is you can you can filter out the people that just don't have what it takes to become a police officer in today's world, and you'll learn that at, you'll learn that at Wyndham. You're gonna be your doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from. You got you spend six months at Wyndham. You're gonna be in every pretty much every demographic. And if you're not, if you don't have uh, the ability to and just to be a good person, solve problems, be smart and deescalate and not, then that's some, some, unfortunately some things can't be taught. So if you 
make if if someone makes a mistake at Wyndham, you're not armed and you don't have police powers. So it's much you're less it's less likely to become a, a major issue where somebody gets hurt or killed, right? So that's why I always say that this is this to me that this 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 would definitely help solve that. And and every recruiter I've spoken to in, in law enforcement has agreed that man, if you had a report card on everybody before they got to the police academy, before the taxpayers spent the money on on because it's expensive to get run people through it. Um, it this is also there's a piece of this model helps with the attrition rates too, which saves, saves money. It's also cheaper. So as far as the, um, you know, however you, whatever you look at defund the police, it's a lot. You know, one of the arguments is freeing up cash for programs in the community that help bring up the community and, and end some of these cycles. It's much cheaper to go this route as well. Police recruiting is down. Well, we're up. We, uh, we fill in, we fill in the gaps and take on the stuff that, police don't want to do anyways, and we're not armed and we can't arrest people. So a lot of the lower liability stuff in the communities, um, you know, suspicious person, homeless, uh, sometimes domestic uh, violence issues, we, uh, we do not have the ability to arrest. Um, and for the most part, a lot of things, a lot of the things, what our, our, our role is to solve the problem without having to call 911. Now we know when to call 911 and we're definitely not going to risk trying to put our, our, our guards at risk, but it frees up the police to focus on violent crimes. It frees up the police to focus on what I think most people would agree that they should be focusing on and not some, not some of this lower liability stuff that tends to, that they don't have the people for anyway. So that's the way I look at it. I think it's a, it's a skeletal system that would work in in any major city. It would free it up. So, so a skeletal system that handles the community problems, but also gives future police officers experience that they could use prior to get into a police academy. So when they get to the police academy, they have something to talk about. They understand it. They've been in those situations. You get a lot of, you know, if you go straight from no job, <laughs> nothing into trying to apply to the police, uh, to, to a police academy, you don't really have much. Now, you don't really, it's really hard to tell how that person's going to do. Now, the military is great because you travel around the world for the mo- most part, and you're going to be around all kinds of situations. You have to figure things out. College is okay, too. If, if you're involved, great. Um, so, but there's a lot, like, there's a lot of growing up you have to do before you become a police officer. So I think this is a, an opportunity for that. And it's not a, a reinvent, it's not a new industry. It's already there. So why don't we just leverage what's already there? And uh, and try and, and try and make a change here. Not, I'm doing my best to get in front of the um, anyone in the community that will talk to me, whether they're for it, against it, whatever. I want I want this to be something that that helps. Um, which is why I was just with, um, like I said, AP Powell. Like it, I just he's put together so many great conversations, and that I thought I I wanted to see what his thoughts were on on what we're trying to do here, and to get his support behind, it, and to ask some questions and things that I'm not thinking about. Because, um, you know, I didn't grow up in that community. I'm not, not going to say that I did when I didn't. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and the sticks. And I never had to go through anything like that. And I, I got to make sure that I'm, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know everything. I got to make sure that this is going to work. I want, like I said in the beginning, I, it's not just getting the police to support. It's getting the community and the police to support it. So, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think any rational person in our country realizes that there's a need for for change inside of the police system, right? And unfortunately, we live in a world where it's, you know, 144 characters at a time or, you know, the soundbite, you know, whatever. And so they they choose words an awful lot of the time that don't necessarily uh, mean what they're trying to do, right? Because 
I don't think anybody's really trying to completely defund the police and say, we do not need police, right? But the movement is defund the police. And so then you've got people who don't look into it and think, well, they're trying to get rid of police. We still need police. Like, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Hmm. And, And that's not really what's trying to be done here. But because we use words that that engage people's emotions, then people get emotional on both sides without fully understanding what either side's trying to to do, mm-hmm. right? So we definitely need to to reform the the system, and there needs to be something better. And I I think this farm system is a great way to kind of put it together. And and you know we're you're testing this in the sixth largest city in in America. That's a very diverse city. Mm-hmm. We've got what eight million people or so, you know, here in the Phoenix metro area. And so it's a great place to to test this out. But the biggest thing that I think that that you said that really makes me think that this is a, a way to to really change things is your guards are unarmed and do not have police power, but they're dealing with a lot of these things. Like you said, that the police don't necessarily want to be dealing with anyway, but this is a training ground for them to learn how to de-escalate things and to deal with problems that happen on a regular basis without ever even thinking about pulling a firearm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it teaches them and trains them that even when they do get to that point and they're in a police situation and they're actually, you know, with those police powers, they've got a badge, they've got a gun, they're still not thinking about pulling their weapon until it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thinkers before shooters, you know, kind of a, a mentality. It's you... You know, we what we end up doing a lot in in um, in the public it, public properties that we're at in downtowns, et cetera, is you're going to see people commit crime, right? Whether it's drinking in the parking garage, you know, obviously urinating in public or doing something, those are those are opportunities to what we end up doing is we just track it, uh, and then we and then our we our approach to it is to go up there and let them know, hey, can't do that. This is why, and um, you know, if you do it again, then uh, we, we have to call the police or don't. There's too many. There's, there's a lot of police around here. You just knock that off. You know, the little things that shouldn't turn. It shouldn't be, a, you know, should, which in the past has been a lot of times call 911 and there's someone doing this or that. And it's like, um, I don't I don't. That's not what police want to do. I mean, they're that we want them to focus on on real safety issues. Um, like I said, responding to violence and responding to bigger issues and drug trafficking and big things that we're concerned about human trafficking. If a guard sees something that's obviously a very dangerous situation, now if nobody's getting harmed right away, like if there was somebody uh, in danger, then the, then we're going to respond to it no matter what. We're going to call nine one one or dispatches or however we do it, radio it in, call nine one one. We're going to respond if someone's life is in danger, or whatever. But we're uh, we also are, are we're not going to respond to something that we feel would escalate to a situation where you need to have the police there. So, so I think a lot of times we kind of, we, we, uh, the system would filter out calls into 911 too, as long as you had the, everyone's on the same page for what it should be. So obviously you're not, you're not armed with a firearm. Um, so you're more likely to observe and report and stay back. Unless, like I said, someone's in immediate danger or there's an arson going, something going where someone uh, lost a life or, or someone getting injured is, is a concern, even lost property. But, um, um, yeah, no, it's a, you know, I, I think it makes, just makes a lot of sense, but uh, that's why 
and I, we all believe in it and we all believe that this is actually an answer. This is a, this is a solution. And it's not like in the local police here and everyone's been so really supportive about it and giving advice and offering, this is, these are some concerns and things you want to think about. So it wasn't, I've, I haven't hit a wall anywhere yet on this. It was just getting it built, getting it built and kind of putting things together and then getting, and then, then, then at you, then you start using data and showing results now. So the only company, um, I believe still we're the only private company that has the same uh, software, use the same software that law enforcement uses. So we have the same system of sharing of, of sharing videos and data back and forth so we can share it directly with uh, police departments, prosecutors, um, you know, detectives, et cetera. So, and, and we are, I think we got to be one of the largest private uh, owners of uh, body cameras of private companies. So I think we've got I don't know, something like 56 Axon cameras. So every single guard at, at, at Wyndham has a, is always wearing a camera, every single one. Um, very valuable, obviously. And then that, that's how you're sharing a lot of information with the, the departments. That was a big piece of it too. You know, I was, when I was talking to the governor, I said, you know, that I always hear this, the motto is see something, say something. I said, well, between the private security industry and, and local law enforcement, it's see something, say nothing. There is no system for it. And that's, that's a shame because there's a lot of, um, a lot of valuable information that would be useful to, to local police if you can get it to them. So that was another big piece of it too, is we want to show some value here as well. If we're going to be in these situations that we could, we could, uh, we can get it to the right people to do some good. So that's been a big, uh, a big piece of this. And then we've, we've gotten a lot, um, been very helpful. We've been told by local police by by sharing this inf- kind of information that that's very useful. So um, there's a lot. It's it's there's a lot more to it. Of uh, there's a lot more, a lot more benefits to it than just a, a few different things here and there. So I just yeah I just I I, I believe in I really believe in the system and um, and I'm looking forward to continuing to grow it all the way all throughout Maricopa County. And if it's if, and looking at the data, it shows success. We you could pop this into another metropolitan city that has the same you know struggles and issues and think of seattle san francisco portland los angeles you know those areas are they're having the same problems and concerns and like you were kind of alluding to if it works here it could work anywhere so um yeah but i'm looking into getting into more discussions about what am i missing what what are some what are the pros and cons what but uh i keep pushing it and pushing it because i keep getting um, the positive reinforcement from, from people when I talk about this is why I think this is, this is a much better solution than what, what, I, what I've heard out there from the, to fund the policers. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the data <clears throat> that you guys have, and you may not have specific numbers, you know, off the top of your head, but what kind of data have you provided at this point back to the governor and, or the, the local police groups in each of the different cities, Tempe and so forth, where you're, where you're operating as the number of 911 calls or the number of actual police uh, officers that have had to respond to certain things because you guys have been able to, to pick that up. Because that speaks to the, the amount of money that can be saved by this program as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the updates to the, to the, my my updates to the governor's office is just kind of on progress or if I ever need any help or something, I'll kind of let them know. What I, what I discovered, um, what we discovered um, at Wyndham was, you know, we thought we were going to be sending all the information to one central hub and from there it would get disseminated to where it needs to go and do some good. What we learned was um, it's actually more effective if we send that information to local uh, precincts and departments as opposed to one 
central. So uh, the information we send is to is at a local level, unless um, unless it's something that's shared with the county. So um, a lot of the data we're given is based on is trends that we start to see. So we 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 track everything. So for example, to make it simple, um, uh, let's say a, a, a city block. In, in Phoenix, um, if we st- we always run analytics on the data of what we're seeing, what what we're running into, and and we'll run analytics and show, look, we're seeing an upward trend in um, narcotics or something, we'll, and we'll say, and so we'll start, we'll deliver those these reports to uh, a local, um, you know, police officer, lieutenant, or mostly in crime uh, prevention, crime free you know, parts of the uh, of the department, and we'll start to give them a heads up. Now, this is what we're starting to really see over here and that but we get we get police reports sent back to us as well so every day we get we get all the reports on on that, that involve properties we're in so we can kind of take the information from what the police are seeing and what we're seeing and kind of run it together and say this is what this is what's going on here uh which is which is valuable to the you know patrol officers because they can kind of get a heads up especially when it's down to you know a specific property you know and say like look there's a lot of activity on this property it's kind of looking like you know we're seeing a lot of traffic in and out quick stops in and out um that information is valuable a lot a lot of some of the communities unfortunately you you know, start seeing these upticks in prostitution and things that we'll just send this information off to and and, and give it to them so they can get a heads up it's like i said the extra eyes and ears on the street of what's going on now there's we've been involved in um and some pretty major narcotics busts in the Valley too. So where we got someone, a detective would reach out in the beginning, um, whether it's all through one, uh, one department or it's shared. Uh, sometimes it's shared with, whether it's a County and their cities that work together, asking questions for what they're looking for. And we'll run backwards through our data uh, on what's been happening on this particular, you know, on this block or in this city. And we've been able to provide um, a lot of valuable information, pictures, videos, uh, reports, that led to some pretty big busts um, that took a lot of drugs off the street. And a lot of that's because we're there, we're there and we're keeping track of everything. And um, especially for searching, um, you know, bolos and be on the lookouts for certain people, the, the, the police officers will, or um, someone will reach out to us and say, Hey, this here's a description. Have you seen, you know, we, we, we took a, uh, we had a couple weeks ago, we had a pretty big, pretty big bust of a um, kind of a, a repeat, there's a couple that kept just was just robbing apartment communities all over the place, and they were using U-Haul vans and stuff. And we had it on in our system all their so every guard in those areas that was out at night. You know, we use a, a lot. We have 20 patrol cars, so we have patrol cars that are always are bouncing out there, and we put it out there on there. And um, the first night we caught them, we caught them, and we got them arrested. So, um, so we're always trying to you know, you know, use that information to and and, and do something with it. You know, uh, obviously the person responsible for the properties, if it's on private properties, yes, they want to know what's going on. They're running a business too, but uh, local police also want to get a heads up too. So they, hopefully they can get some dangerous people off the street, you know, um, on the private side, right. For the private companies that we're, uh, a lot, a lot of work we do for apartment communities, especially, um, we're constantly giving them information where they can do some good as well, especially with getting, you know, tenants out that shouldn't be in that community that are making it hard for families, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if we're able to handle them and, and, and get to a resolution on that, it's freeing up the police from having to deal with something like that. Like we've given them everything they need to, um, process, you know, whether it's evictions or even, um, notices to them that they need to change or, or got to go. So it, th- this, this is, 
the work we're doing, uh, if it's working, the private work we're doing is not new. It's just um, we have the, the, the systems that we use to do it are, are different. And we learn those from police. We learned a, a better way to patrol apartment communities by asking local police for what, you know, this is the old way of what everyone's doing. And what, what do you think would be more effective? Um, so we actually use something called the Cobra curve. It's a, it's a version of predictive policing, but we don't do it. We don't, we don't, that's kind of like a, it's one of those words you don't want to say, predictive policing, but I'll use it because we use data um, to find out when on properties, not not where to go in communities, but where, when and when and uh, where on actual properties is, are these issues happening so we can focus our attention on, on, on first of all, figure out why and then be there hopefully to, uh, to prevent it or to deal with it when it's occurring. A lot of the things that we, we do things a little bit different, but we free up police, we make the community safer, um, and, and it's working. So, and like I said, it's giving people, men and women, the opportunity to gain experience and, and to get them fired up too. A lot of, a lot of working, uh, solving a problem, working with local PD and, and, and making something better for a family gets people excited about the, uh, you know, a career as a police officer or, or, or something in public safety. So, yeah, I mean, I think you said, you know, this isn't anything new. I mean, this type of private security has existed for decades, right? It's not that you're doing anything new, but I think you're, you're doing it in a different way to where the people who work for you are committed, have a background in certain things, but they're looking towards the future and want to do a good job as opposed to not everybody's this way, but as opposed to a retired police officer who's just making some extra money on top of their pension at the end of their working Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think you get a little bit different outcome. But, you know, you mentioned the apartment community specifically. So kind of the last question I have for you as we wrap this up is why apartment communities as opposed to other industries, businesses, all those sorts of things that you could be providing private security for? Because um, speaking to city councils and to um, police officers and leaders in, in, um, in policing, the question was asked, where, what bogs you down? What is really, what are you spending? What are a lot of calls for service for? Um, it wasn't just, you know, high density communities, multifamily apartments, right? It was also um, convenience stores. There were some other things on there that we, we looked at as well. And we had, we had gone through some meetings to look at, is this something that we really want to do or, or um, maybe, maybe, maybe not. So it was, we, we wanted to make sure that the work, now we've turned down a lot of work that wasn't really going to be a good fit for us or ones that we frankly felt like it should not be a private company doing. Um, but apartments are, uh, are responsible for a lot of calls for service and apartments already have security for the most part done. It was completely done a different way than what we do. Um, even the ones that are out there are competitors in this industry. They do it at the old fashioned way, um, which we feel is a very ineffective uh, way of doing it. Um, we do it, we do it a much different way. So it was like, okay, good experience builder, um, solves a problem for the city. These are families that live in, live in apartments. It's a, it's something that we wanted to obviously show in results that it, positively impact families. It's a big deal. It's a motivator. Um, so, and freeing up police, like we said, to focus on violent crimes and more things that they are better equipped to, to deal with as well as, uh, want to deal with was a, was a better fit. So that was, that was a big reason for it. 
Um, you know, we've bit, the other a part of the police reform too, just to throw it in there, was uh, finding out different ways. Well, who should respond to homeless or men- people with men- a mental illness or having an episode? And people have looked at other options, and I've always compared them to it. Well, some of this use a fire department or use a social worker. And I just knowing from experience, the thing that you have to be able to do is respond quickly. Now, we have a patrol grid across the valley where, for the most part, our goal is to, to try and respond to every call within 10 minutes. So we're pretty much like we're everything is at least it's it's 20 minutes or less is kind of our thing that's very hard to do in the valley now if someone calls into 911 and they relay it to a social worker who's sitting in an office and expect them to get in the car and get there in time that's pretty much impossible you're scheduling future appointments we have the ability because of our patrol model and grid because their cars are already out there floating on their paper routes we call them in our dispatch centers we're going to respond fast so we're going to be able to respond much quicker which is why we're being looked at from some of the police departments around to potentially be an option for someone that a 911 that comes in and it's a nonviolent. This is more of a let's just go go fix the go solve the problem because we have the ability to respond very quickly and that is a struggle with using like a like I said using social workers who might on the scene be a great option but if they show up an hour late an hour later how else are you going to get someone to respond all over the valley if they're coming from offices? Now, that's the old system I was talking about as well from our competitors is they'll have like a dispatch center with a bunch of cars and that could take off from there. We have using our technology, just like in a nine one at the police departments where we have dispatchers who have the, all the maps are up in the car. You can see the cars moving around and they're going to choose the closest vehicle to respond to those thousand, that 1,000 calls we get every month. And that is... Um, one of the thing, one of the tough parts about what they're trying to, I've say I've seen in police reform with using social workers is if you can't respond quick enough it's a it's a moot point you're not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna be if you don't want the police to be there then you got to find something else which is why we thought this is just another opportunity for why this this in our opinion is more effective yeah so of the thousand calls per month that it sounds like you guys get on an ongoing basis. Do you have statistics that show how many of those previously would have gone to a, a police car being dispatched or a police officer being dispatched? Yeah, uh, we, we we tend to look at uh, we 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 look at data based one property at a time. We we combine them all. If we're looking at a city, city block. We can we can do whatever we want with the data, and it's the I would say. 90% of the calls could be considered a nine would, would have just gone to a 911. The other 10% are, are would be like lease violations. Someone's in the amenities after hours or you a dispute that is kind of more of a you want them to get in trouble with the property manager not the police. Um the rest of them are suspicious persons, noise complaints is obviously a big one depending on the season of the year, homeless but as well as uh, domestic uh, arguments that are obviously loud enough to where they're disruptive. So that's the majority of what those were. And and typically those would be a call that they would, it could be a non-emergency call to, you know, to 911, but it'd still be a call that would get on the list for some patrol officer to have to go deal with. Um, vandalism as well is another one too. So there's a lot of things that we already handle that are, are things that free up police, whether the police, not, not like a, you know, they're going to respond right away to it, but it's going to be on their list. It's going to, it's going to be one that's going to, it's bogging them down for the day. And I don't see why we want police focusing, dealing with things like that. Let's, let's let them, let's let them work on the things that we really, that we really care about. 
Yeah, I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think, you know, there's a potential opportunity for Wyndham as time goes on to specifically train your guards and officers to to deal with just those types of disputes, right? And then, like you said, you're working truly with the community. The police is just there for that violent, you know, and they've got special training for those types of things. But everything else kind of reroutes to a company like Wyndham Security. I think it's, I think that's a great way to look at how things can be truly reformed and different in our country. Yeah, much cheaper. It is much cheaper to go that route and picture, you know, you got got Wyndham gets there within, you know, within 20 minutes, maybe some, some areas were there in two minutes. It just depends on where the cars are. Sometimes you get lucky, you know, and then at that moment, um, the, the, the guard that on the scene is going to make the assessment right away. And, and there are obviously there's tons of examples where the guards gotten there. And right when he's seen it, he's, he's more of a, okay, this is an observing report. 911, you know, he tell, he radios in dispatch and say, you know, send the police. This is why. And then they're extra eyes and ears and they're extra on there. So when the police show up, they're not blind. So a lot of times it's you go in there first just to check things. You're going there quickly, get there quickly, make a quick assessment and say, we need the police. Um, so, you know, I think so when the police are on their way, it's important. And so, um, yeah, I I believe this is the right way to do it. Yeah, I I think you're doing some great work. We we certainly appreciate, and I say we, you know, Landon's here in spirit with us, but we appreciate you coming on the show. You know, we talked in the pre-qualification call. We have a lot of things in common with you anyway. We're big into the veteran community. Neither one of us served, but we have family members that did. And we, you know, we contribute to veteran, you know, nonprofits and so forth. But we also both used to race motocross. And so yeah. we have that in common as well. And and both have ties to Southern California as well. So it, it's been fun to have you here. It's it's real easy to see the passion that you have for what you do, which I think is awesome. You know, they say if you if you do something for your job that you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, I, I kind of screwed up the the wording there, but you know what I'm what I'm yeah. saying. And you can yeah. you can feel that from you. It's not it's not just words. It's not that Dylan's here, you know, trying to tell the story of Wyndham and drive business for Wyndham and find new employees, but it truly comes from your heart and you can feel that. And we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I, I definitely, uh, since I, since starting in the, on the nonprofit side with veterans and first responders, I always, I always wanted to serve, you know, I always wanted to, um, to, to give back. I, and this, for me, I get to share in, in it whenever we have a, a win in a community, I, I get to feel like I was a part of that, you know, that feeling I've always wanted. I walked into a, a Navy recruiter's office right when I got injured and uh, started and took a lot of the tests and placement tests and everything. And that's the path I was taking. And then um, just, and then went a different way. So I've always had that, like, maybe that was what I should have, I should have done. And that was for me. But now I think I like where I'm at. I like what I'm doing. I will always be on the, uh, I'll always be there for when the men and women get injured and, and for their families, if they get killed, I'm never going to let off on that. But I really, this, this to me is a passion project that, I think it, I think does a lot of good, especially, you know, and, and I don't know how it's going to sound, but especially for me. So, yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to end the show. So thanks so much for being here, Dylan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. 
Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.